welcome, kind listeners. Welcome back to the Anna Creates podcast. Uh, you might notice a different voice here. Unfortunately, our traditional host, Alex Krotz, is not available to host this podcast. We are doing a podcast takeover with your new host, Malcolm Cottle. Yes, I've finally done it. I have been a guest on the podcast in the past, but I finally infiltrated my way in and I have taken over the podcast. We all thought I was going to be a co-host, but no, I'm just the new host for this episode. I've, I'm doing a podcast takeover. Again, my name is Malcolm Cottle. I am... Well, I am nobody, but I've been a guest on the podcast previously. And my guest today for this podcast takeover is Alex Chuck Krotz. Uh, you may know him as the previous host of the podcast. He's done a lot of great podcasts on here. But uh, Alex, or um, as I know him, Chuck, is a, is a really great guy. He's been in the professional music recording industry for over 10 years, being a uh, an audio engineer, producer, and mixer. He's worked with huge names, and he's worked with local names. Uh, his portfolio is extensive and diverse. He is my personal go-to anytime I have a question about music production, um, even writing and also uh, producing. Chuck has been a longtime friend of mine, and I love him dearly. And so I've decided to take over his podcast and flip the switches on him and ask him a few questions. So, Chuck, welcome to your own podcast. Thank you for having me, Malcolm. It's so nice for you to take over my job for me. This is way easier. Well, man, you, know? you have been firing on all cylinders. Like, I swear to God, every time I log on to anything, you have posted something, whether it's a new podcast, podcast clip, whether it's a new tutorial on YouTube, um, a new song you've mixed or something like, I mean, you're just constantly doing stuff. So I really wanted to, you know, take over a little bit of the reins, give you a little bit of a break and maybe uh, let you just sit back and maybe just answer some questions for once rather than. Uh, yeah, rather than writing all the questions and, uh, you know, doing everything. So, yeah, man, really what I want to do today is just kind of have a conversation with you. I feel like, you know, we, uh, you know, we uh, FaceTime a lot and we go back and forth often. And I think this was just kind of a cool opportunity to just sit down and maybe talk about some of the stuff we've talked about in the past. And uh, really, I just want this to kind of be conversational, a little yeah. bit of back and forth. How does that sound? Sounds fantastic to me. I think you do a way better intro than I do, so we might have to get you to just do all the intros from now on. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want a truly masterful introduction, you'll have to uh, go with my dad. My uh, my father has been in uh, radio broadcasting for many, many years, and he is the true professional. Anytime I'm in these kinds of situations, I'm, I'm really just trying to channel my dad. You know, I'm really just mm. thinking, like, how would dad say this? <laughs> and that's really all where where the magic comes from is just trying to be like my father. So, Apple uh, Fall far from the tree, I guess, right? <laughs> well, I hope not. I mean, he's yeah, he's great. But yeah, if you want a truly masterful introduction, we'll uh, I'll uh, I'll get you connected with my dad, and he can do Perfect. it for you there. Perfect. The voice of uh, yeah, the voice of CJCS, and now uh, uh, Moose FM and Mix FM and all that fun stuff. So yeah, uh, awesome. man. So let's let's dive right in. So uh, the first question I have for you is just uh, drum samples. Let's chat about drum samples. What do you think? How do you use them? Uh, what's a, what are misconceptions? Just uh, the floor is yours, my friend. Yes, I'm not surprised that you start with a drum question, seeing as you are the drum master of this podcast every time oh, you're hell on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so drum samples, th there is a misconception, I think, uh, very much about drum samples in the way that people automatically think drum samples are bad because mm. the typical thing is people don't really talk about drum samples until they're saying that they're bad or that they're overused or that they're being, you know, too processed and like nobody says oh that's a great sounding drum sound it probably has samples underneath it they're going that's way too sample heavy mm. and that's where the i think the bad rep comes from i personally love drum samples and i use them a lot um 
and I've a lot of the people that I've worked with, a lot of the high up guys use drum samples to some degree or another. Um, except if you're, you know, working in jazz or something, then maybe not as much. But <laughs> especially in rock and metal, um, they're very heavily used, even in hip hop stuff when you're, you know, have a real drum kit and you add samples. So <laughs> one of the things that I like to do is, is, and where I like to think that it, it makes it sound better is the way that you don't sample replace you sample augment and that's how I always approach samples and that's how a lot of the people that I work with approach samples where you don't actually like completely replace the original drum you mm -hmm. s use samples to augment it so for me if I'm mixing a drum kit kick drum snare drum toms are typically I put samples on them uh, and I also use multiple samples which I'll, I can talk about but I put them in and I put them alongside so they're like parallel processing almost to the original snare or kick. Um, kick is a faster one to get replaced, but <laughs> that's just because it's got to really stick out and it's, there's not a lot of room for error there. But snares especially, I like to add them in as um, just an, a different tonality to it. So instead of, the way that I look at it is instead of using an EQ or a compressor to like change the tone of the original snare i'm using a sample to add whatever i'm looking for so whether that's a bigger one a, a bigger bottom of a snare or a bigger mm -hmm. uh, crack to a snare or i've even used you know door slams or hitting metal as a snare sample to add that <laughs> metallic tonality to it wow but cool. yeah it's it's it can you can get really creative with it it doesn't have to be just like I'm putting a Black Beauty sample underneath my snare to make it sound different. Mm -hmm. um, but I like to keep the original in there because that's where, to me, the life of the playing comes from. And if you've listened to um, any of the stuff that you and I have done together, you have mm -hmm. a lot of those little elements like the snare roll stuff or the ghost notes and things like that that typically, if you oversample, that's the first thing that gets lost. And so I like to keep that as kind of the prominent, the real snare is the prominent uh, sound for especially those things and kind of augment it with these samples to just kind of make it uh, a little more solid sometimes in the mix especially mm -hmm. is, is where samples come to really speak is in the mix. When you hear it in context, you don't really, you shouldn't really notice that they're sampled unless you know the original, uh, what the drum sounds like. Then you're like, wow, this mm. sounds way bigger. Yeah. But if you're just listening to it, it should just sound like a good drum kit with a good player. And mm. that's where, you know, you have to be careful because there is a fine line between it just being a good sounding drum kit and, oh God, it's sample heavy and this is fake, mm. you know. Um, yeah. But that's how I approach it is it's, cool. it's a tool to... Mm help the mixing process just like an EQ you use it in tasteful ways and that's that's how I like to approach sampling as well and that makes a lot of sense to me too because even from an amateur mixing standpoint that seems a lot easier and like a, a faster workflow like if you know you're going to EQ the crap out of a snare drum to try to like boost the high end you know cut the mids or whatever you know why not just get you know why not just layer some samples in that are doing that for you and then mix them together into a pleasant like full sounding snare so that that makes mm -hmm. a lot of sense to me uh two follow-up questions for you there one yeah. what uh so your your approach is sample augmentation uh you know mm -hmm. using samples to augment the original source material what do you think that sample replacement is wrong is my first question like why why not just 
completely replace it. And my second question is, what do you say to people that say that using uh, samples on drums replaces the drummer and or eliminates the drummer or the feel? So I don't think that like replacement is wrong in in the concept of it like sample replacement i don't think is necessarily bad but i think it when it's done poorly or badly then yes it is bad <laughs> um and i think that's where it gets its its bad name and basically if you put like drum samples in and they're just at like 100 percent velocity they're just like one sample just the whole time that's at 100 percent. that's where it starts to sound programmed and that's where it starts to sound fake and that's where i think that it's done poorly but mm -hmm. i don't think actually replacing the snare if need be is necessarily uh bad because okay. the other the thing with that is if it's done correctly and the snare sample that you're adding in or replacing your snare with is similar enough to the rest of the kit so the bleed doesn't get all wonky um then it can sound really good and it can be really well done. And especially if you have a part that doesn't have a lot of um, like ghost notes and like rolls and that kind of stuff, because those are get harder and harder to make sound good. Mm -hmm. But if it's a typical rock song, that's just a lot of straight up hits, mm -hmm. uh, especially those can be easier to make just sound good. And especially in a mix, they can just sound good and cut through. So they can be done. It can be done well. Um, and you asked, does samples replace the drummer? And I don't think, again, if it's done correctly, it doesn't because I've done records that are programmed and, uh, both on a smaller band and a large band scale where oh, the okay. drums are just completely replaced, essentially programmed. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a whole whack of different techniques to make it sound as, as good as possible, but it can sound really good and really natural if it's done again, if it's done correctly. Mm -hmm. And you know, if you program drums and you spend time programming it and it's a drummer that programs it, you know, you've programmed tons of drums that you'd spend time meticulously making sure that it's actually has different velocities and actually has a bit of that feel to it. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's how it's done. Well, if it's, if it's, uh, if you put the time into it, if you just, yeah. Again, program it with, you know, 127 velocity MIDI notes for every single hit on the kick, <laughs> oh, snare, God. toms, and all the cymbals. Then, okay, that's, we're going to start being like, uh, okay, this is a bit much, maybe, yeah. <laughs> you know. You know, that's okay for your first pass of a demo, but. <laughs> exactly. But you have to go back in. But. To me, you can do really good work with MIDI drums and playing them in and then using a drum uh, programming software like mm -hmm. Drumforge or Stephen Slate Drums or something and get really good sounding drums from that if you have actually kind of played it in, if the parts are human, if they're natural in that kind of thing. Because a lot of people program drums and they don't sound right because it's like five-handed we call it five-handed drumming yeah <laughs> um, where it's like that's uh that's impossible to play mm -hmm. <laughs> you know that's where it becomes not good and where you're kind of like that doesn't make any sense so now as a human as a listener you're kind of like that seems like too much happening or like there's no physical way they could play that that fast or that way or whatever um and you can kind of tell even if you're not a drummer you're kind of like this seems over the top a little bit, you know, <laughs> and that's where the replacement 
um, of like fully replacing or programming drums because at a certain point you're you're not replacing drums you're just programming them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where it becomes bad. And there is a there's a thing I can't confirm or deny this, um, <laughs> but it is said that Nickelback um, they have one of the best drummers out there. He's so solid. He's so good. Yet Chris, yeah. mm-hmm. it's said that the drums on the records are not real at all. They are purely really? programmed. And it's like, okay, wow. so he, he plays them in on a MIDI kit and then they do the thing to them. It's for the tone of it. They want those drums to be massive, larger than life, mm-hmm. and through cut through the mix. And you just can't get that with a real drum kit in some mm-hmm. situations. And for a lot of people, they don't really notice. But if you're, especially if you're a drummer and you listen to some drums like that, and then you sit behind a kit or even stand in front of a kit while somebody's playing, it's like, yeah, drums don't sound like that naturally. So clearly they're <laughs> manipulated. You know, there there is a fine line with that. And in a mix, I think that you go for it. Have fun. Like, make mm-hmm. it sound how it should sound for your vision in the song. You sure, know, a yeah. guitar doesn't sound the same way with one guy playing one guitar as it does in a record where it's doubled and layered and like recordings are supposed to be your, your best vision of your art in your, in your head. And sometimes Mm. programming or replacing drums works. Other times sample augmenting is, does the job phenomenally and keeps more of the drummer in there easily easier for you. It's, Mm -hmm. it's all how you portray the art, but I don't think in, principle sample replacement and programming are bad as long as they're done correctly yeah yeah and i think that's the point you're kind of driving home is that there's there's good ways to do it and there's bad you know and i think i think most people know when it's done badly and most people know but maybe they don't know when it's done well because when it's done well they don't realize it you know (laughs) exactly um it's kind of the uh you know, and there's so many people in so many different industries where, you know, doing your job well kind of means no one noticing that you did your job. You know, I was uh, I was having a conversation exactly. about that yesterday about video editing and like focus pullers on set. Like mm. those are two great examples of people that you kind of shouldn't notice the editing, the editing, the editing in a film or, you know, a TV show or a movie um, or even a YouTube channel, like should be mm-hmm. so seamless that you don't notice that there was a cut there necessarily because the yep. cadence is so well done or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think the same kind of applies to, to drum sampling and drum editing where totally, you know, the, uh, the person doing it should do it with, you know, such skill that you really don't notice that like, Oh, that sounded like a drum sample. Like it, because that takes you out of the song too, you know, or exactly. that takes you out of the clip, and and I hate that when um, when that sort of machine gun like sound on the snare drum kind of comes in, and you're just like, uh, like, yeah, your ear just picks that up for some reason. So yeah, I think it's, um, you know, man, I think what it just kind of comes down to is just your your willingness to put in the time to do it right. Exactly. I think you you can hate samples if someone's going to cut corners, but I think that that applies to anything too. I think the same could be you know the same principles in compression. Like if you just put like a standard. Mm-hmm. ratio threshold release an attack on a compressor on everything you know it's not going to yep. sound right it's going to be wonky like if you're not tailoring that compression setting to the source and what mm-hmm. you're trying to do with it and you don't have a vision for what it's supposed to sound like 
it's not going to sound right, you know? So it's, yeah. I think it's really just about like putting the time in. And um, I think that's definitely the case with uh, programming drums, especially. And, you know, with using samples, you know, not using solely one shots or using one shots very, you know, strategically, like maybe just mm -hmm. in choruses, you use the one shot just so that like that snare on two and four just freaking cuts, you know? Exactly. Um, but yeah. when you're getting into like the more technical stuff, like, yeah, maybe back it off, maybe let the natural snare breathe through. So yeah, no, it, um, Maybe I'm not the best person to mediate this conversation because I'm in complete agreement, yeah, agreement yeah. with you, so I have nothing to contradict. <laughs> well, an interesting thing that I'd like to add to that is, um, you know, it is up to the time that you spend doing it and the time that you put mm -hmm. in. And the problem with modern tools, and this is why they get a bad name, especially when it comes to drum sampling and drum replacement, because drum sampling and drum replacement are very obvious to listeners. They can, mm -hmm. even if you don't know anything, you're like, that doesn't sound right something is wrong this sounds fake mm -hmm. even if you know nothing about it there are like people can kind of tell whereas if it's bad compression they can't really tell they like mm. they can tell that they like the song at that point but a snare drum that's a shotgun they're like yeah that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't sound right like they can tell that and I think that's why drum samples and and uh, and that kind of thing get a bad rep as well as just people the, a few people who don't like it are very loud spoken about it, mm, but true. editing in itself is, has been done way before modern tools. But the problem is, is that nowadays it's so easy for anybody and their brother with a laptop and logic or pro tools to edit terribly back in the day, <laughs> they would spend two years making a record and it would be on tape and they would have, they'd still edit. Like mm -hmm. Metallica records were still quantized in the drums, but they were done to tape, which means it took the poor editor, I, poor oh. guys, uh, like six months to edit the drums. Razor blade, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But that meant that they had to do it right and they had to do it well because they were already spending six months. So you might as well, instead of spending four months, spend six months and make it sound flawless and like you didn't even, you don't hear it. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, it takes you can edit it well in two hours, but a lot of people are like, Oh, you just use like beat detective and it takes five minutes. Yeah. And it sounds horrible. Like <laughs> they, it's just that that's, but because the time is so much less people are like, ah, five minutes versus two hours. I'll just do five minutes, whatever. And yeah. that's where the problem lies. And there's so many more people that can do that now that so much more of that terrible sounding stuff is coming out, which means that it gets a bad name because like you said, if you do your job right, nobody notices. I've edited so much stuff and they're like, sounds awesome. Is it like, sounds really tight. Is, did you, and just like, yeah, I edited everything's perfectly on the grid. <laughs> they, they don't know. But if, if you know, some editor doesn't do it well, they're like, Oh, that guy's a bad editor. Editing's not mm -hmm. good. It's like, no, 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 he did it wrong. Not, not the editing. The editing is good. Mm -hmm. All my stuff's edited completely. And mm -hmm. yet, People don't notice it until they really think about it and go, wow, all the kick drums and all the guitar hits are like literally perfectly in line. There's no way anybody could play that. Mm -hmm. But they don't think about that because it's done well and it's it's hidden by the fact that it just is done well. It sounds good. So, Yeah, absolutely. You know. A follow-up to that. Do you think the, um, the explosion of like video representation of music has hindered the the drum sampling kind of 
perception because I know for me, like that's one thing where I notice samples, even if I'm not like listening really carefully, because I see drummers playing their music so much more than I used to. Like before mm -hmm. it was maybe a couple music videos a year that you'd see on VH1 or something like that. You know what I mean? But now with like YouTube, like people are constantly putting out visual representations of their music where mm. you hear these samples and you can see a drummer who is not like lifting his stick above his head before they come down and hit that snare. But when they do it, like maybe it's just a little boop, like what it looks like, but yeah. you hear, you know? Yeah. So do you think that is having an effect on people's perception of samples in terms of uh, drummers not looking like they're hitting as hard, but like you hear this massive sound. So there's like a, a visual disconnect. You know what? I think that it's starting to, I want to mm. say that it's, it's beginning to, to actually make an impact. And unfortunately it's a little bit delayed based <laughs> on all the videos that, you know, are actually out there. But I think it's starting to make an impact uh, with people f kind of realizing that, oh, that doesn't look right because there's a lot more stuff. And it's, I think it's what it's doing is it's making drummers a bit more um, aware of it because unfortunately, I mean, you're a video person and a musician. So when you do music videos and stuff, they look really good because you're aware of it. However, the amount of videos that come out where you see the background drummer, like where you see the vocalist and you see mm -hmm. the drummer in the background and he's playing a <laughs> snare or a, a hi-hat when it's this big crashy chorus and you're like, oh. that's wrong or like the fill's wrong or something. You're My like, pet beef. how pet beef. did this get through? But we see it. We know what it's supposed to look like. We know that a tom fill is the toms, whereas a video editor so often doesn't understand that and doesn't realize that. And so I think that's kind of the representation of broader society in a way where they mm. don't overly realize that to make a big cracking snare sound, you have to lift your hand up and like do this. And mm -hmm. if you just kind of just do this, it's going to be a poop instead of a crack. Yeah. And for, for, for those listening over the podcast, Chuck raised his hand well <laughs> above his head for the big hit and yes. barely even moved for the little barely, hit. So exactly. Just, okay. Just so, you know, the listeners are aware of the actions being, Ex yes. being done. Good, good, good call. <laughs> um, <laughs> so broader society, I don't think totally realizes that sometimes. And mm -hmm. now it's becoming more obvious because the drummers are seeing it going, well, that's not right. And they're kind of going, huh, maybe I should make my stuff sound better. And maybe I should m make sure that the video is correct and make sure that the sampling is done correctly. And especially now that there are a lot of people out there that are purely like drum uh, YouTubers, so to speak, mm -hmm. that that's their whole motive. That is the point is to make that's it realistic looking. Yeah. It's making it come to the forefront. And so more people I think are are becoming aware of that. Um, and I think it's going to bleed more into music videos right now. I don't think it is yet as much as maybe we hope. Um, <laughs> but I think it's going to get there and it's going to be like, this has to be a lot more realistic, but at the same time, people are looking at the singer half the time. And if the drummer's <laughs> doing the wrong thing, nobody's paying attention, you know, <laughs> no one cares so, about you and me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nobody cares. Yeah. And I mean, the same thing with guitars, you'd see the amount of like, it, this is a big palm muting part. And yet the, it's some like model girl who's playing the guitar and she's like strumming away in the court. She's not even moving mm. her hands. And you're like, okay, well that's clearly fake. I mean, I knew, <laughs> but who cares? <laughs> like, so it's a, it's a weird 
kind of phenomenon, I guess. But sure, yeah, you know, and it it, it all depends on the context and the point of the video exactly. too. Like, what's is the point? This story is the point to show off the playing. Like, you know, it's, if it's because if it's a video where it's the point is to show off the playing, like if it's a Luke Holland cover or mm-hmm. you know Chris Turner or something, like the whole point is to show that they are playing it and it sounds like what they look like. And those guys are phenomenal at making it look right, even if there are samples, mm-hmm. even if they're whatever the case is, they're very good at making the sonic quality of it match the video and but that's the whole point you're watching the drummer there is not a there's nothing else in the video in that sense Mm -hmm. um whereas if it's like you know machine gun kelly's music video well nobody's really caring that megan fox is not playing the guitar correctly they just want to see megan fox in the video but if it's again if it's even travis Travis Barker barker in the background you know exactly sometimes it's wrong sometimes it's right but the thing is, is that even with like a Travis Barker, he's a uh, uh, a name and a drummer that people respect. So even his parts are typically correct because it's his integrity that we're like, mm-hmm. yeah, you did play that. And we believe you played it because you're a good drummer and we know that. So True. you want to see it correctly. And, and I think more people are seeing that more. And I think that's part of it as part of it as well. I hope. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and it's funny, I, I have that very same reaction. If I if I ever see a, a video where, you know, I hear the audio and he's playing on the hi-hat, but then the video he's playing on the crash, my, my instinct is, oh, the editor messed that up, you know, or the DP messed <laughs> yep. that up. Like, my yep. instinct is not to think that Travis messed that up because he's a phenomenal drummer. Like, yep. <laughs> but, exactly. you know, so it's, it's, it's just kind of funny how, how your mind kind of like goes that way or, or focuses in that way. Totally. Let's move on to a... An equally controversial subject within the music production community. Let's talk yes. about grid editing, quantization. You got into it a little bit, uh, talking uh-huh. about editing and uh, you know gridding and everything like that. But um, yeah, you know, uh, an equally controversial subject. A lot of people say it takes the player out of it. A lot of people say it's you know it's making bad musicians sound good. You know, there's uh, a million reasons why people hate it. Uh, but you kind of live or die by uh, grid editing and quantization. So t- t- tell us a little bit about your experience like how you got into this you know very specific kind of editing where everything mm-hmm. you want everything on the grid and then kind of talk us through why uh you continue to do it and why uh it's kind of your niche yeah so uh, first off i'll say that it depends editing in general depends on the kind of music mm-hmm. um i would not if i were working on a jazz record or a blues record or even like old country records probably wouldn't grid everything as much as I would with metal or rock, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. That's supposed to be grid edited in the sound makes sense to be grid edited, I guess. Not not supposed to, but it just makes sense. But jazz is so much about the little fine details of this, of how it's playing along the grid and how everybody's mm-hmm. playing together. That's the push and the pull. Yeah. Exactly. And, and that's, you want that to speak. So, Everything I I say about editing is, you know, has a little asterisk beside it. It goes, well, depends on your genre (laughs) and depends on the player. Because, Mm -hmm. for instance, you know, Larnell Lewis, who's uh, the drummer for Snarky Puppy, he's phenomenal. I've Mm -hmm. I've had the pleasure of recording him and he is just as good in real life as he is on the recordings and like (laughs) super nice guy, too. But he's like he is a god in drumming worlds like it's insane how good the guy is and how 
he pushes and pulls against the beat just so slight. Like I went in and looked at his drum parts after he had done them and it was like perfectly on the grid except for where he didn't want it perfectly mm. in time. And it was like, mm -hmm. huh, well that makes total sense. <laughs> like, wow. You can like see those choices. Can, like, exactly. Right you can wow. see where he's like behind and then ahead. And, but again, it's the, it's also the genre because mm -hmm. he's not playing metal as much as he is playing something that needs those feel. And the other instruments are also doing their own thing, mm -hmm. but it's, so it's crafted that way and they're good players. So they can make it that way. But of course, like that's, you know, elite players in a genre that's not typically edited. So yeah, they can get away with it <laughs> really, sure. really, yeah. really well. But anyway, so, so why I got into to editing is I do a lot of rock metal kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. typically it just makes sense for that kind of style when you have uh, drums and then a guitar, a bass, massive layers of guitars, mm -hmm. uh, and then lead guitars and then vocals and stacks of vocals. If everything is slightly off of the grid by milliseconds, just tiny bits, it gets messy real fast. Um, and so one of the early things that I found uh, when I first discovered stacking drum or guitars mm -hmm. is where it kind of started. And it was just like, okay, I have to edit these to make them sound clean because it's supposed to be one guitar part. Therefore, mm -hmm. they all kind of have to line up. Otherwise, it's just going to be a mess. And I can't like you can't control it then and the mix sounds worse because you can't have any impact because the impact is being distributed by all these layers so once you add that to drums then you know everything is slightly off which means that nothing's on to each other it's not even the grid it's more about to each other than it is actually mm -hmm. about the grid in that sense it's just way easier to edit to the grid <laughs> um than it's it is unifier. to like yeah yeah and so I I am a proponent of editing when it's done well. Again, same thing with sampling. If it's done poorly, it's terrible. Don't bother. But if it's done really well, which I pride myself on doing and have spent hours and hours and hours perfecting and learning all the nuances and learning how to do it, it can be done really well and you cannot even notice it's there. And if people think it's to the grid and think it's edited, then they in their head will think that it's bad. When it's not, because somebody who doesn't realize and doesn't think doesn't notice it mm -hmm. when it's done correctly, because I'm good at what I do. <laughs> and sure. so yeah. you can do it and do it well, and it can sound really good. And it doesn't, to me, replace the drummer, because, again, why I like sample augmentation, not sample replacement, is because you don't want to replace the drummer. Mm -hmm. Editing doesn't replace the drummer, because you still have the feel in every hit. You still have the feel of the hat and the you know, the snare drum parts and just mm -hmm. that's where the drummer comes through. If you move it by 10 milliseconds over the, the, the hits still there and still sounds like what he did. So mm -hmm. that part's good. You know, that's where the feel comes in to me, not in okay. the, not always in the actual like timing of it. And I grid edit a lot like the whole song, because once you move one note around, then you might as well just keep moving. Cause at some point the yeah. note after it's wrong and then the note before it sounds weird. And then mm -hmm. before you know it, you're editing the whole thing anyway. So you might as well just set out from the onset to do it correctly and just yeah. go for it, you know? And that's my personal opinion. And I've never had somebody come back to me and go, this doesn't sound right. Cause I do it 
well. So yeah. And you put the time into it and everything. Yeah. You know, it's exactly. funny. I had a similar light bulb moment with editing where I was doing a session with some friends and one thing was like pretty off. So I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I'll just edit this on. Yep. But then everything else sounded wrong. And it's, yeah. And it, it's funny how like editing and even like uh, vocal tuning and anything like that, like once you start editing, you kind of have to do everything. I find it's very yeah. rare where you can just move like every now and then I think you can find like, oh, I just need to like bump one or two hits more yep. in line with everyone else. But like if you start gridding anything, you pretty much have to grid everything because then just anything that isn't gridded sounds yep. like it's way off because everything else is so precise. It's all relative too, right? If you mm-hmm. edit one hit that's now on the grid, but everything else isn't, then it's relatively wrong to the hits around it. So therefore mm-hmm. it's doesn't sound good anymore. But if you move it so that it's like you have the snare and then it's in between the two kicks perfectly, like right in the middle, that's where it should be. Mm-hmm. And then it'll sound good and it won't need to be gridded in that sense. But it's once again, sounds good. And that's where, you know, some subtle editing is good. And especially for like live performances and stuff, you don't even notice it when it's that's that slight to a video. Mm-hmm. Um, but that can just add a little bit of extra. Yeah. Sounds really, sounds really good. They're, they're, they're on it without having to actually grid everything. And then what do you say to people that say that like, um, gridding or quantizing uh for records is maybe unethical that it's a it's a bad representation of the musician and if they can't play it right they shouldn't be recording i luckily have been able to kind of just show them that it still sounds really good um (laughs) but i think that it's ethics it's up to you if you feel bad about it or if you don't want to do that then more power to you, but you have to learn to play and be able to accomplish it. Otherwise, it just sounds like bad drums or bad whatever. And fine, if that's what you want, but you can get, say 100% you played it that exact way, then all, more power to you. I am a believer that records are supposed to be like the um, the ultimate kind of version of the song in that sense mm-hmm. because people listen to it over and over and over again and if if you want mistakes in there or little you know little mistakes in there fine and for some for some uh types of music that works great and like punk is one of those that you know i don't i wouldn't grid literally everything if i didn't have to um <laughs> you know fix a few things here and there and maybe there's some mistakes or some weird shit but they they're like yeah that's that, that's us that's great yeah perfect because punk you want a little bit of that raw character you want a little exactly. bit of that live off the floor like taste yeah exactly but if you heard a mistake in a nickelback record or in a mm-hmm. three days grace record It'd be like, what did, did they forget about this? Like, yeah. that's weird. <laughs> and that's where I kind of go, you know, sure, they'll play it live and they can play it. They're good players. I don't think faking something uh, is necessarily good um, in the fact that if you're a band and you're going to go on tour and you can't play the songs that you wrote and you have no chance of playing, you know, that, mm-hmm. then maybe don't do it. Maybe don't do a shreddy solo when you are never going to be able to play that, but you could make it in the recording maybe don't maybe stay away from that part of it but Mm -hmm. if you can already basically play it might like make it perfect make it like the pristine version of the song Mm -hmm. and as long as it's not a a total poor representation of what you're going to see live where it's like oh boy um (laughs) all the songs are 20 bpm slower and they still screw it up well okay maybe maybe you need to find something else to 
maybe you should write something else. <laughs> you yeah. know? Maybe don't set yourself up for failure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But so I don't think it's unethical. I think it's just okay. your creative taste because this at the same time, and this is something that I, you know, feel strongly about uh, because I've worked with a lot of bands who their art in a way is the editing and is the way that it is. And I feel this way about my own stuff. I edit everything. And sometimes I edit stuff that I can't play, but I have no intent of being a touring musician and needing mm. to make it sound real. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes the sonic quality of what you can achieve is part of the art for the artist. Um, for instance, Billy Talent, they're amazing. I'm a big fan of oh, them. Yeah. And this was this was one of the first records that I actually worked on at the studio. What really floored me was he could play. He was a phenomenal player, the guitar player. Okay. Phenomenal player. And he could play it his parts so well and they sounded so good. But yet when they recorded, they separated every chord and they like they edited every single hit they played every single hit differently because they wanted it tuned perfectly like they tuned for mm. every chord and then played it wow. and that like over the top uh well over the top meaning i copied it now i do a lot of that but <laughs> you know <laughs> um but that was part of their art and that was part mm. of what made the sound of the records the way that they sounded and mm -hmm. they loved that and they even started trying to just kind of play it and just kind of like leave it because he's a good player Mm -hmm. And they slowly just kept replacing stuff and replacing each chord. And, and then they were just like, ah, screw it. Let's just do it the way that we know how. But yeah. that's the sound <laughs> of the records. That's the sonic quality. Again, it's a tool that they're using, in a sense, to make it sound that way. They spend, we spent five days getting the guitar sound. So they care about the sound. Mm -hmm. And yet, but that is, that's instead of EQing it to sound a certain way or compressing it or whatever they're editing it and that's part of the sound that is mm -hmm. what they do and they did a record where they didn't do that as much and they weren't as happy with the results just because oh, really? they were like eh, it doesn't i don't know it doesn't sound like us you know mm -hmm. and that's their art in the making of their record and i i think that says something about it yeah. um and the way that you can use editing in a good way and in a artistic way so to speak mm -hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. You know, and, and that's funny that you talk about editing as its own like form of art or form mm. of artistic expression too, because a lot of people think the exact opposite is that like editing ruins the art, you know, mm. or anything like that. There's another thing that you uh, touched on that I very much agree with that I want to highlight. And that's uh, sort of, you mentioned the point of recording and the point of like, you know, all of it. And I very much agree to me, the, um, when I listen to a record, I'm kind of more listening to the composition as opposed to the playability. To me, mm -hmm. like, I just sort of assume if you're spending all this money and all this time to go record a record that you can play this or, you know, that it's stuff that you've played. But I'm really interested in, like, what are you writing? What, are, what is all coming together to create the song that you've made? And to me, the composition is really the most fascinating part. And for me, editing gets you the most accurate representation of the composition that you've created. Mm -hmm. And that's why I really have gotten behind editing for most of my projects and everything like that. I've edited my last two EP projects that I worked on fully because I wanted to hear what is this supposed to sound like when everything goes perfect? <laughs> you know, like um, mm. it's the only time it will sound perfect because you'll never play it live 100% perfect. You'll never really be in another situation where it will ever come together exactly how you envisioned it. And to me, a record yeah. is the one time you can do that. And I think we've mentioned this before too. 
if you decided to notate, like write down all of the music and like notate it, it would be all on the grid. It wouldn't exactly. be like, you know, on yep. or off. So I, to me, that was a bit of a light bulb moment for myself too. That evening. It was like, oh yeah, you know, if I, if I wrote the sheet music to this, everything would be perfectly on the grid, you know? Yep. And the, you know, it just wouldn't sound like MIDI, you know, when you played it back and yeah. And maybe that's, yeah, I just, I, that's what I love about records and, and about editing and getting everything just right where it's supposed to be is because it's, for me, it's one of the only times I'll ever hear a piece of music that I wrote exactly how it's supposed to be, more or less. Exactly, you know, exactly. Given and, this or that, and I think that you, you like, that's exactly what the kind of the point of uh, at least most records or whatever. Um, obviously, there's you know different genres that the the human <laughs> the human element of it is part of it, and like the mm -hmm. little mistakes and the little. Uh, not even mistakes, but the you know the shifting of things a little bit is part of the art, and that's how they want it to come through. And I mm -hmm. absolutely respect that. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. I've made plenty of records like that, and it's like, yes, this sounds amazing. Um, my philosophy is more based on you know big rock stuff mm -hmm. where, well, I like it to sound, and that's again a personal preference. <laughs> I like yeah. it to sound gridded so that I hear it like you said, like sheet music almost like I want it to be there because there's still the little bit of, um, uh, discrepancy or whatnot that you have because you did play it in like a guitar. Mm -hmm. Every hit is not the same. And, uh, you know, that's the, that's why doubling works for instance, where you play one and then you double it the exact same thing. You play it again and you move it to the other side. Mm -hmm. Um, if you play the same thing exactly and you're a phenomenal player and you double it and you edit it so it's perfectly on the grid, it's still there. It's still enough of a difference mm -hmm. that it's panned out and it sounds huge because there's human discrepancy in it just yeah. by nature. So I think that that's <laughs> part of the human element that comes through. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, when you're playing live, you have the energy of the live show. You have the energy of watching them play it. So it doesn't matter if it's perfect. But mm -hmm. on a record, you're listening to it and you're again and again and again, <laughs> again and again and again. So you might as well have it be right. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people, that's how they kind of think about it. If, if they are happy with the little discrepancies and they're like, oh, I remember that moment in the record, then great. That's part of your art. And I applaud that. And you should put that in there 100 uh, percent. Mm -hmm. Those are great moments. But if you listen to it and every single time you're like, ah. Yeah, that hit could have been better. <laughs> well, fix it then. Like yeah. this is your chance, your one chance to do it and have the most pure representation, like you said, of your art. Mm -hmm. And that's the beautiful thing about recording. And that's one of the things I love about recording and mm -hmm. love about editing because you can have that. And, you know, if you want it, you can have it. And Please just please do it well is I guess my if point. If you want it, you can have it. You can get it, baby. <laughs> like you just wrote like a great R and B hit for the summer. <laughs> totally. Okay, we're from gonna like two thousand and three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. If you want it, you can have it. Oh, that's great. New, um, new Malcolm and Chuck song coming uh summer twenty twenty one. Um, I want to shift our focus to uh, maybe something a little bit more practical uh, for some of mm -hmm. your listeners, because you do a lot of education. You do a lot of you know client work still. Um, mm -hmm. So I kind of want to make that little shift. Um, right now, just because of the accessibility of uh, recording technology and uh, techniques and education, a lot of bands are learning that they can do tracking on their own. And mm -hmm. 
you know, and, and I think a lot of them try to get into mixing, but I've noticed a, a big trend, uh, especially with myself, where tracking is all done by the band or the artist, and then they send out the multi-tracks to someone like you to professionally mix them. So it mm-hmm. saves them some cost because they, they do the engineering and the tracking themselves, and then they just pay for professional mixing where the song can really come together and someone else can handle their tracks. What advice do you give to those people um, as, as, as a mixer that has received bands multi-tracks, and then you have to kind of take all these raw elements and put them together and make them sound professional? Mm-hmm. What uh, what advice can you give to people in you know the beginner or even in the intermediate stages while they're tracking to make sure that their uh, that their raw DIs that their their raw tracks are the best that they can be so that a mixer like you can really turn them into like a rock hit or like a radio uh, sounding quality. Yeah, when it comes to this, I think it really depends on what you're doing and what the outcome of it is. And to me, I think it's a, I think it's such a great uh, opportunity for a lot of bands. And I think that I love this shift in technology and I'm a big, like I used to work at a large studio. I love big studios. I love making records for six months. I love that. Um, but there's such a, a, a thing that's happening in the shift. I, I just, absolutely love the fact that so many more people can make their vision come to life mm-hmm. on their own terms and with less budget and it's opening that up. Um, what I would say is first off, when you're starting, put invest some time into it. Don't just mm. think you can buy the best thing ever and you know the best interface and buy a new Mac and buy a logic and what and you're off to the races and it's going to sound amazing invest the time into learning what it is that you need and that's kind of what i hope to do frankly with a bunch of my educational content that i'm coming Mm -hmm. out with is to try and help those people as well with what do you need to to start because there's kind of a baseline that you need to do know how to not clip di's know how to make the the recording of it good it's not technical you don't need to be an engineer to do it in the mm-hmm. sense that it's not, you know, fine tuning the EQ and the little, the little it, it's All not, science, it doesn't yeah. have to get that in depth. Yeah. But it, you have to still just get the raw baseline quality of, um, not clipping, for instance. Today's mm-hmm. technology allows for so many people to have the quality that they need if they know how to use it to the even a minimal amount. Um, you know, new interfaces and uh, converters and stuff are so easy to use and just they sound good. They can you can make a great record with them. And so it's possible with minimal amount of knowledge and your your quality is just going to keep going up and your it's not even your quality. It's more your creativity and what you can do with it will continue to go up as you learn more and more skills. So I would say at the base level, when you get started, learn the basics of how to use it and invest time into it. Um, mm-hmm. Invest a couple bucks into buying something decent, and most things are decent. So at you know yeah. at that point, the gear is is a minimal uh, barrier to entry. But then spend the hours, spend the time to learn how to use it correctly, so that you can make good, decent recordings to give to somebody and. You know, nowadays you can do things like MIDI drums, which sound great uh, if you if you actually record them and if your mixer knows how to deal with them. Um, you can do guitar DIs, so you don't need amps. You don't need to know how to mic up amps. You don't need any of that stuff because amp sims are great and whatever. Like, you can do so many different things. So you need minimal amounts of knowledge on how to just not clip DIs 
and record <laughs> uh, record MIDI, and then a little bit more knowledge, maybe to record vocals and not have them sound like total crap. But again, it's you just have to know how to make it sound decent and on par, and then if you give it to a mixer they can deal with most of that as long as the base level is is set. And that's the beautiful yeah. thing about about being able to do it yourself and be creative yourself and then give it to a mixer to make it actually sound polished and really nice. So yeah. that's what I would say. And if you're not sure what to record for your genre and you're not sure exactly like layers and stuff like that, you know, I talk about that kind of stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. Watching videos like my mix breakdowns or my track breakdowns or anybody else's, frankly, not just mine, um, and get ideas <laughs> of what people are doing, what people mm-hmm. are recording. You'll understand what the purposes are for them and what you could record for yours to to get your vision out there. And also talk to your mixer. If your mixer yeah. is, you know, if you can talk to them and if you know who they are already and they're willing to talk to you and they have time, sit down for an hour or half an hour and just go, okay, this is what I want. This is what I want it to sound like. What do I need to record? Because you might yeah. sit down with them and go, I want to sound like a, make it sound as close as I can to a Nickelback record. And they can go, okay, cool. So for every guitar, you need to double it and then maybe give me one extra double to make an, another sound to, you know, so you quad quad track the guitars to make a thicker sound in the chorus and just make sure I get four of everything. Make mm-hmm. sure you, you know, uh, triple track the vocals just so we have that. And again, over-recording, 100% over-record because muting is way easier than going, well, we don't have that, <laughs> you know, yeah, then for your a, vision. A double or something. <laughs> exactly. Always track a double. Always track. Even if you're like, I don't think I'm going to use this. Always just grab it. Why not? It's going to take you an extra three minutes or however long the song is to grab it. Then you have it and it sounds similar to the what you're doing and it's in the same mm-hmm. vein and you don't have to try and figure it out three months later when the mixer's like, Hey, yeah, you want it to sound like Nickelback, but I have one guitar track. I can't make it sound <laughs> that way. Um, a, a mixer will be able to make something sound good with whatever you give them in that sense, but it might not sound like what your vision is for your song. Yeah. If you track one guitar as a mixer, I can tell you, I can do great things with one guitar, but it, I can't make that sound like three days grace guitars, a wall of guitars because mm-hmm. there's just not enough there. So that's where you should probably, you know, talking to your mixer and going, this is my goal. What do I need to have to do that minimum? Uh, and then just have fun with it at that point, just play with it. So yeah. that's what I would say. Yeah. I, I, I really like that advice. I think that goes a long way and I can uh, wholeheartedly endorse communication with your mixer too. You know, when we did Revolution EP together, I think that was like a Mm -hmm. huge thing is that you, me and the producer, Emmett O'Reilly, like we just set up a very quick video chat. I think we were only on for like half an hour, 45 minutes. And we just Mm -hmm. like, you know, we sent you before that a rundown of all the tracks, like in terms of just like, what are all the elements? Yeah. And you just gave us numbers like, okay, like we have, Rhythm guitars, lead guitars, bass, drums, some violin, MIDI, and screaming vocals and singing vocals. And you said, okay, yeah, um, give me four of these guitar tracks. Give me uh, one bass, you know, and a bass D, mm-hmm. like one with an amp, one with DI. And it, it was great. And it, it actually made my tracking process so much faster because I knew that I was getting everything I needed. I wasn't like second guessing a lot of things and I wasn't. Mm-hmm 
plagued with a little bit of anxiety of like, oh, like, is this enough? You know what I mean? I just knew exactly what to go for. And so yeah. that was super helpful. So yeah, that definitely that communication with your mixer um, and asking them what they need to make your vision mm -hmm. come true. I think that's great advice, especially if you have like examples of like, oh, I like I wrote these songs. I'm kind of going for this sound of a mix. Like references like that, I think are really valuable for a lot of mixers. Um, so I think that's really great advice. And and I think that like that's kind of the way that it should be at the moment in this transition of a lot of people self-recording and not knowing mm -hmm. as much about production and a lot of even producers that are just really good at the songwriting. Like Emmett, he's a really good songwriting producer and like that side of the production, but he's not a recording producer in that sense. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas a lot of the traditional producers that you see, like that I've worked with at the studio there, they record what they need to produce their vision. That's mm -hmm. the point. That's, they know that they know how to do that. That's their whole mm -hmm. thing. Nowadays with so many people not really working with producers who either know what they're doing or, uh, <laughs> aren't sure about every aspect of it or what can happen because so many people are playing around with this home recording stuff that mm -hmm. there's a million options, but they don't all know exactly what's going on. Because there's not a lot of education necessarily about that side of things, which is something that I'm trying to help with a little bit as well. Um, because it's so new in that sense. You just kind of, a band that goes into the studio with a producer in the studio for a week at, you know, Noble Street, the producer typically knows what they're trying to achieve. And they've said, we're, it's going to take one week to do this and record all the things we need. So mm -hmm. that's what we're doing. And they know the end goal and they know all these different things. When you take that out, and it's home recording or, you know, more DIY style. Now you need to, as the artist and as the tracking kind of the person actually recording it, you need to communicate with somebody who knows how to achieve that goal, which is talking mm -hmm. to your mixer then, because you don't have necessarily a, a producer in that sense in that's going, yeah. we need all these elements. So you might as well communicate with somebody who knows the next yeah. step a bit better um, like a mixer that's going to go, yeah, well, okay, if you want that, we need X, Y, and Z to achieve that. And then yeah. everybody involved can go, cool, that's the minimum amount and we can add more stuff on there to be more creative and that's totally fine. Yes, and, and I think that's really just a good endorsement of if you want to get into this, you can't just kind of dip your toe and expect, mm. you know, a professionally sounding track or record at the end yep. of the day. You know, if you, if you get into this, you have to kind of put in the time and the effort to learn and try yep. to, you know, put your best foot forward and, and, you know, kind of dive and dive into the, to the deep end totally. at times. Um, yeah. I want to shift, you know, we've been talking about producers um, just now. So I kind of want to shift to that a little bit. Um, you know, it seems like today, a lot of uh, records or producers or bands tend to kind of use the same drum samples, the same types of amps, the same gear to achieve production techniques that they know sound good. And that's very common. You know, you hear a record and you're like, oh, that sounds really good. I want to sound like that. So you kind of research it all and try to use the same things to sound similar to kind of get that credibility um, and get your foot off the ground. I think that's really um, the greatest example of that, I think, is definitely in metalcore, where, mm -hmm. you know, Joey Sturgis as a uh, engineer, mixer and producer came on the scene and just sort of blew up that genre with a very specific sound that he was introducing. And everyone tried to emulate that. But mm -hmm. it kind of resulted in an oversaturation of a certain sound within a genre of like, you know, everyone using the same kind of samples, everyone using the same gear to try to sound like, to try to get that Joey Sturgis sound, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. what advice would you have for new artists or producers or engineers that are trying to 
you know, develop their sound and maybe, you know, bring something new and unique to, to their, to their tracks, their productions, to their genre without sounding so fringe that no one, it's, it's inaccessible. Do you know what I mean? Like, cause you know, yeah. sometimes when you're trying to be so new, you sound like so out there that everyone's just like, Oh no, you're, you're not doing it right. You know? Yeah, totally. So what can those people do to try to kind of carve their own unique sound in, in the, in the industry? Yeah. First of all, if you're just getting started, I would highly recommend doing what we just talked about and talk to a mixer and learn what's possible with what you give them, because that'll help you indicate where to start going. Mm. Um, because I think the problem is a lot of people, they see the Joey Sturgis things and he's got plugins and stuff now. So you're like, oh, to achieve his sound, I know what he does and he has a plugin that says, you know, asking Alexandria tone. So if I want that record sound, I buy that and I can use it and it'll sound that way. <laughs> and that's what they kind of just default to. They don't really talk to anybody about anything else, which means they either get the cookie cutter that sound because they mm -hmm. pick the, you know, the preset that's named after the song they're trying to emulate. And their song is also probably written basically the same as that song. So now it's really cookie cutter. Um, mm -hmm. the exact same thing, but they don't talk to somebody else or like a, a mixing engineer or try to use a mixing engineer who's going to go, well, I don't want to make it sound exactly like that. So I'm going to do something different. And they have the tools and the knowledge to do that. And then as an artist, you can then go, ah, okay, I see the possibilities and what you've done with my thing that still sound like me, but yet is different than everything else. And I think that you have to start there and learn what's possible because part of the thing is you don't understand what's possible or how to do it. Once you kind of understand that and are getting more into the recording and more into, okay, let me try and find my sound and you're doing more of your own rough mixing even um, to learn how to do that. And really this is where the production comes in and you get to play with sounds and that kind of stuff. Then you, you have to, start somewhere, but you have to play around and try, you know, yes, if you do something, like you said, you're going to try something, it's going to be out of left field and everybody's going to be like, what's going on? And <laughs> frankly, that's your fear. That's not actually the reality because uh -huh. Joey Sturgis started out doing the same thing as everybody else going, how do I make somebody, how do I sound good? And he mm -hmm. developed his sound. There was no Joey Sturgis before Joey Sturgis made Joey Sturgis's sound. He tried it and he came up with that and now everybody wants to do that. And he was right at the mm -hmm. rise of technology where um, where more people could do it. Before that, there wasn't a lot of that. He was really on the cutting edge in that sense of amp sims and program drums and whatever. So that was his sound. Mm -hmm. um, now a bunch of people do it not as good because they, again, back to every other thing we just talked about, they don't do it well. Um, so now it, it gives the whole genre a bad name in a sense or the production techniques because everybody's doing drum samples because Joey Sturgis did them, but they're doing them poorly. So now it's they don't sound good. Um, mm -hmm. But he experimented and tried something new and it paid off. Same with Billie Eilish in her genre. I was they, just about to bring her up. Yeah. Yes. Is it like a good example of someone just out of left field, but then just took off, you know, cause people were and, ready for it, you know? <laughs> exactly. And they did it all in their own home. They knew how to do it. They, they again, spent their time. Joey Sturgis spent his time. They spent hours learning how to do it, whatever resources they could, whatever experimentation they could, um, mm -hmm. asking a few questions to different people. That's how you develop that. And that, so anyway, Billie Eilish, that's what they did. They tried something that was so out of left field. If it happened five years ago or 10 years ago, it may not have taken off. Mm -hmm. And that's just kind of 
the the reality of it. You have to try something. Try and make your own sound and just see what works and what doesn't. And the beautiful thing about modern day, especially, is that you can do that and you can find people out there who are going to appreciate it because of things like Spotify and the Internet. True. You can find those niche audiences. And, you know, when Joey started, there wasn't there was not a huge audience for what he does. <laughs> but he consistently did it and he learned how to do it and he made it really good sounding and he, he perfected his craft. And it just so happened that a whole bunch of people were like, oh, that seems easy. I'm going to do that. That sounds great. And took off because also his genre was very uh, a bunch of people who made no money from their music. So they were like, well, <laughs> his way looks and sounds cheap to do. So this is perfect. Mm. We can do that. And that's kind of what's you know in that genre. That's how that kind of skyrocketed so to speak yeah. um but it, it all of the people whose sounds you're like that's the sound i want the reason they have the sound that i want is because they spent hours perfecting their own thing and slogged through it and had no guarantee that it was going to be the right thing and came mm -hmm. out on top because people were like man this is good and you're consistently doing it now i'm starting it's really growing on me i'm gonna continue i'm gonna i want that now and that's how every artist starting you have to just lean into your instincts and if it's if it is authentic to you i believe i really do believe that people will uh, appreciate that and mm. resonate with the authenticity of it even and um it will be successful in some way or another um to be able to make a career out of it if you wow. want that very cool i think that's a that's a youtube uh, that's a facebook youtube clip right there i think that's going to be <laughs> right. the clip you post later yeah um <laughs> so meta uh, yeah. um oh man though so like wait a minute so if i'm summarizing here what you're saying is you have to put time and energy and effort into yeah. being good at something and you have to be in the right place at the right time yeah uh. <laughs> yeah I no know. um in all seriousness, I think that's, you know, and, and that's what it always comes back to. It seems to be that's kind of an emerging theme out of, you know, uh, editing, drum production, tracking yourself, carving your own sound. It just takes the willingness to put the time and the effort in to do it mm -hmm. right. And if you try to take, to, you know, there's always shortcuts to your workflow. There's always ways to make things more efficient yeah. uh, to, you know, improve your workflow. But I think you always can tell the difference when you're taking a shortcut to try to get something done faster as opposed to you know, uh, making something more efficient. Uh, I think yeah. there's always a big difference there. And it sounds like that's kind of the emerging theme here is you just got to put in the time and the effort to do it right. And if you do it, you know, fast and cheap, that's not always going to get you the results you want. It's going to kind of yeah. just, um, maybe soil the water a little bit here. So that's really yeah. interesting. I'm a, I'm a big proponent of being efficient. Like that's, I'm a mm. huge efficiency nerd <laughs> in that sense. <laughs> and it's, it's true that efficiency does not need to mean a drop in quality mm. because that's what a lot of people think is, Oh, this is more efficient. I can edit the drums in five minutes, not two hours. Yeah. But that's a drop in quality inefficiency. So depending mm. on what you want, which isn't true efficiency too. I mean, efficiency no. is doing things to the same quality with less resources and less time. Like that's exactly real efficiency, learning shortcuts in your software to make your workflow a bit faster. Mm -hmm. um, how can you use the tools to make it, sound better quicker but it's still the same level of quality it's just getting there can be done slightly more efficiently and every time you do like one percent and what typically if you can manage to cut it down in instantly by you know 
75, 85%. Typically you're probably losing some kind of quality in it. It's, it's always, it's by one to 5% each time you find a little hack to make it a bit faster and more efficient. That's where it's the, you're, you're maintaining the quality, but you're getting it more efficient in your creation. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can drop it off by 85% in one go, well, there's probably something that you should look a little deeper at that and yeah. really assess <laughs> if it's actually doing what you think, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And at this time, too, we should probably mention that uh, you do offer mixed reviews on your website, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something to take advantage of um, with you, Chuck. I know I just I have your personal information, so I can just <laughs> slide into your DMs whenever I have a question. Oh, yeah. Uh, but it should be uh, noted for your uh, general audience that Chuck does mm. offer uh, mix reviews at anacreates.ca where you can submit mixes and get his feedback on what can be improved, what's going well. And that's the thing, too. I think you mentioned this is like just getting other people's opinions. I mean, I have friends that just send me mixes sometimes, and I'm not a professional, but I know enough to give some feedback and Mm -hmm. kind of give a bit of a layman's terms like what's working what isn't as well as um you know just different things that um that i think and you know definitely getting a professional uh person who's in the industry's opinion is highly valuable so anyone out there i highly recommend if you're listening take advantage of uh, anna creates mix reviews at anna yeah thank you the reason i do that is because i know how much it can be helpful for people because one of the reasons that i got to where I was, the reason, the, the way that I learned, I didn't just flail my feet, uh, flail my arms <laughs> swimming with no nothing. It was like, it wasn't that. This image of you just running around a control room, just like, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. just like turning knobs and moving sliders and just be like, music. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, I didn't have to do that. Um, <laughs> thankfully that would have been, well, I've done it before, but you know, um, so <laughs> so the reason I like to to offer that and to help people is because it's again it's the efficiency part of it. You can learn and you can do a slow slog and you can you know figure it out really painstakingly slow, read everything and whatever. But one of the reasons that I managed to do what I did as as fast as I did or whatever is because mm-hmm. of mentorship and mm-hmm. somebody being there for me to literally go well how do I do this with somebody that said to me, this is how you do it. And that, that somebody is somebody I trusted because I knew what their outcomes were, what their credits were, that their opinion mattered, whatever it was that managed to do it. It wasn't even credits. It was just your stuff sounds good. So I trust your opinion about things like this. And I had uh, great mentors for that through my career happen to be awesome. some of the best in the industry, but the fact that I could ask people about this and had that kind of solid opinion um, that I could trust, I feel was so instrumental to me being able to grow as an engineer and as a mixer and as a producer. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I like to be able to offer that because there aren't a lot of people that get that opportunity anymore. Like it's, it's, there's so many people trying to make music. You can't all go and work in a big studio Um, so having some, some kind of a, like here, I'm going to help you with a few points of feedback so that you can get better on what you're doing. I think, you know, I want to be able to help people with that. And I think that's so valuable for people because that's ultimately what, what helped me Mm -hmm. massively when I'm like, Oh, this sounds really good. And they go, here's another little tip to make it a little bit better. And again, like I said, you grow it 1% at a time. 
and eventually before you know it it's like oh my god this is 10 times better than it was a year ago <laughs> you know awesome. yeah. so 100% and i can uh, i can wholeheartedly say you know i've benefited uh from your mentorship as well um you know you've helped me a lot with uh tracking and engineering and editing and mixing just giving me new techniques and even though we're on different platforms like you're a pro tools mm -hmm. guy i'm a logic guy but like the principles still apply. I mean, like your DAW of choice is just a tool and it just, like, exactly. it, it doesn't matter where in the menu bar a certain thing is. A lot of them have all the same basic principles and yeah, some of them have different toys or whatever, but yeah, I've, I've hugely benefited from, from your friendship and your mentorship and your just willingness to discuss things with me and help me because I have a lot of confidence now when I open a session mm -hmm. and go to record my songs, I have a lot of confidence that I know what I'm doing and I can track a full song and that all of the elements will be there and sound good and that I can then pass them off to you. And I, I don't have no worries. Like I just send mm -hmm. them, I send you the files. And I just like, I know it'll be good. Like we'll yep. go back and forth on a couple little things, but I know it's going to be good. And having that confidence I think is so vitally important in music. Um, totally. I think so much of the music industry just relies on confidence, whether it's just like blissful, ignorant confidence where yeah. you just you just walk in and act like you own the room and therefore you do, you know, or whatever yep. it is, but just having the confidence to, you know, move the slider, move the knob, hit the drum, hit the chord, you know, just confidence goes a long way. So I don't think that can be uh, undersold. Exactly. Well, Chuck, this has been amazing. I think we're going to wrap it up here uh, because we've had some really fruitful discussions and I always want to save a little bit for later. Uh, leave them wanting. Yep. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Malcolm Cottle takeover of the Anna Creates podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you would like me to do another takeover in the future, let us know in the comments below. It doesn't matter. I'm going to do it anyway. So look forward to the next Malcolm Cottle takeover of the Anna Creates podcast. Just remember to Anna Creates posts on a multitude of platforms. He posts uh, tutorials and reviews and um, reactions from a audio engineer's perspective on YouTube. He also posts a lot of really helpful information on Instagram and Facebook. His website is very active where you can get mixed reviews and see all of his content. The podcast comes out almost once a week, I think. Like, the man mm -hmm. just never stops. And it creates at Anna Creates almost on all platforms. And, of course, at AnnaCreates.ca is where the hub of everything can be found. Give Alex a follow. Give him a like. Give him a share. Just support this guy because he's just given all this away for free. I don't know how, uh, but the man is a, a machine, uh, an ever-loving talent, a dear friend. Alex, thank you for letting me take over the podcast. I turn it officially back over to you. Thank you, sir. It's been a pleasure to be uh, taken over. Taken over? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, I don't know how to... But, yeah. You sound like a character for Futurama when the Earth gets invaded. Thank you. It's yeah. been a pleasure to be taken over by you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's a good visual. Yeah. Um, I don't know how you did it. I don't know how you managed to go from a guest to sneaking your way right into taking over, but somehow you have done it. You know what I think it is? You put mm. in the time. You put in the I put time, in the time. And figured it out. I kept being a guest and, you know, I was a four-time guest and then eventually I just, yeah, I just made my way in and made my way aboard and you spent the time to learn the theme song at the end of the at the end of it so that you could do that on your own interview. That oh, was yeah, the moment I was like, yeah. yeah, this guy, this guy put in the time. He learned dedicated. the theme tune, sing the theme tune. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm uh, on top of it. Well, right, Alex, man. this has been fantastic. 
And I just want you to do one thing, always be creating. Perfect. Ed Cut.